Hey, we're going to be reading in Ephesians about a great and effective door for ministry. You can turn to Ephesians just right at the beginning of the book right there uh, as we get started here. But I wanted to first start by saying that a great and effective door for ministry is open to you guys right here in Ignacio. And I know it's easy in smaller communities to think, well, we're just going to hold down the fort. You know, there's nothing all that special happening here. Uh, we're just going to kind of continue doing our thing. And I, I really want you to, to realize that that's not true. God has something very special for you guys here. A lot of times when we speak, uh, various of our staff will quote Acts 17, 26, and 27, where Paul in Athens, before he goes to Corinth, talks about how God has determined the times and the places that people would live so that men would find him. And it's no accident that you're here at this time in history and in this place in history. I know that God has a plan for you individually, but also for this church as a whole. And I'm so excited for what God's doing here. It really is exciting. Benny and I, Benny, you can wave again. Benny and Megan and Aaron, my wife back here, and I are on staff. And we have a few others on our team. Uh, That includes Brandon and Ann and Stephanie and Caitlin down in Albuquerque. And we're all stepping into some new areas. We're not giving up the campus ministry. We're excited. The campus ministry begins in about four weeks, and we're planning for that and excited for that and already thinking about students that we're going to be meeting soon that need to hear the gospel and need to be discipled. But as a team, we're also stepping into some new areas of ministry. We've realized that a lot of churches desire to do evangelism and discipleship. And a lot of Christian individuals desire to be maximally effective for Christ, to reach the next generation. And a lot of times, people just haven't had real practical training. I I often joke with people that people still get saved. Okay? It's true. Did you guys know that? I, I say I joke in that we all know that to be true, but sometimes we don't really know that to be true. Does that make sense? Uh, People still get saved. Last week we were at night vision and a lady came up to get baptized. And she said, do you remember me? And I said, no. (laughs) She goes, well, I got saved here last year. And I waited the entire year to come back today and be baptized in the same place where I made a decision to trust Christ a year ago. That's exciting, right? Uh, Later that same day, a former student came up and said, hey, do you remember me? I said, of course I remember you. She goes, well, I brought a friend today and my friend just put her trust in Christ. We got to talk with that friend. Those are just two examples last week. But guys, this is happening all around us. And at a time when there's so much opportunity, we have resources and opportunities that nobody in history has had. Right? We can, we can access social media from our phones. We can put testimonies on YouTube. You name it. There are so many different ways to be reaching out. At this critical time in history, a lot of us have backed down from evangelism and discipleship. And I don't think it's because we want to. I don't think anybody's saying, I don't want to be effective. I don't want to make a difference for Christ. I think a lot of times there's just a lack of some good training. And so a lot of what our team is doing is, is trying to step in and come alongside churches and ministries and encourage them in some of those areas. And also to encourage them in some leadership things. Uh, the, the last couple of days we got to finish up a, about a six to eight week process where we worked with Randall and the elders working on a strategic plan. A lot of you got an email from me with a link to a survey. A lot of you guys, about a third of you did the survey. We had a lot of responses. It was great. The elders took all that information, and they really considered it. Your voices were not unheard. 
They took what you said, they thought about it, they prayed about it, they processed it, we all talked about it, and then they took it all and they took it to God and they tried to, independent of each other, uh, decide what the most critical items on the list were. And as they continued doing that to, uh, kind of individually, their collective answers ro rose to the surface and we started to see some patterns emerging. Okay, and we kept doing that and kept doing that until we came up with six goals that I think surfaced out of your responses, but they really are exciting next steps for this church. And then yesterday we met with a lot of you leaders and we talked about how to take that to the next level. You guys made decisions about steps that you want to take in each of those six areas and, and how to take the steps that God is calling ICC to take. And as you think about this, I just had to come back to Ephesians. A great and effective door for ministry has been opened to you. Not because of us, not because of Randall, but because God decided to put you here for a very important reason. Now, you might remember that in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, Paul, told, Paul, Paul said that a great and effective door, but with opposition, had opened in Ephesus, right? And looking at what happened in Ephesus, he was right about both those things. I, I was joking, Randall, we're going to finally get to Ephesus today, right? You guys have been in Corinth for a while. But in Ephesus, there was incredible ministry for a couple of years there. They reached the entire area of the province of Asia, which was about a third, the western third of what's now Turkey, maybe. You could think of it like that. It was not a tiny area. It was a pretty big area. So there was a lot of effectiveness, a lot of fruit, and there was also incredible opposition, right? Uh, Paul nearly lost his life in that city. So, guys, I wanted to come back to Ephesians, where Paul is writing to some of the believers that, that first got encountered and reached for Christ in that city in Ephesus. And I think they were at a place that is similar to yours, where God had prepared them to make a difference for him, right? And things weren't perfect. <laughs> they had obstacles in their way. They had opposition in their way. But nonetheless, they were in a place where God had called them to get their eyes on him, to get their hope focused on him, to trust his power, not their own, and to step into what he had called them to do. So that's what we're going to be talking about. But as we prepare to talk about that, I want to let you know that, that as they came into Ephesus, um, they, they, it, I mentioned a minute ago, but it, it wasn't just easy. Right? There was a lot. It took time. Do you remember uh, back in 16 how the Holy Spirit had stopped Paul from going into Asia? Isn't that interesting? And they had to wait on what God was doing. Um, a lot of what God has for you, I think a lot of you have been waiting for for many years, right? You've been praying for this. You've been excited about this. You've been anticipating God using you in this church in greater ways. And what I want to encourage you with is sometimes there's a wait involved. And sometimes there's opposition involved. But God is drawing you into this. And maybe the time isn't perfect or the, the situation isn't perfect. But that's okay because God can be glorified in the context of your weakness. And in the context of not perfect circumstances. So it'll be exciting as we dive into this. Paul in Ephesians tells them in 3.20 that God is able to do immeasurably more than they, than they could even ask or imagine. I want, I want you to have that view of God as we begin talking today, to know he's able to do it. Everything that came out of the strategic planning process, uh, nobody's banking on the process or the plan to see it happen. 
There wasn't anyone there yesterday that said, we got what it takes. Okay? So as we think about some of the things God is, is calling you to do, I think all your leaders are banking on God alone. They're saying, God, you have what it takes. We don't. And we're trusting you to do what only you can. But we're willing. And we're going to be intentional. And we're going to take that step to follow you into what you've called us to do. So as we, as we begin talking about a lot of this, I want you to remember that a great and effective door for ministry is open to you, just like it was open to the Ephesians. Even in the context of things that aren't perfect, because they never will be. I think that's a myth of ministry. That, you know, ministry will be really good when. <laughs> well, that when will never get there. Every year that we've been in ministry, there's been opposition, there have been hard circumstances, there's been stress, there's been this and that. God can be glorified in those things. Remember 2 Corinthians 12, when Paul talks about that? That was the story of his life. So as we begin thinking about what God desires to do here and in this church, and through his power, not ours, and for his glory, not ours, I want to ask you to prepare to make a decision, okay? Every one of you in this room has to deal with God's word. So remember James 1.22, be doers of the word, not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. And remember 1 Corinthians 8.1 says that, that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If we hear God's word and we don't put it into application out of love, we're going to be proud and deceived. Right? Deceived, I should say. Proud and deceived. So I want to avoid that, to circumvent that, and ask you guys to each make a decision today. I'm not going to tell you what your decision is, but I think that as you listen, the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. And he's going to be leading you, and he's going to be prompting you and asking you to respond in a way that contributes to what he's doing here. So as I talk, be thinking, God, what's the decision that you want me to make? How do you want me to be involved in what you're doing here in this church? All right, so as we, as we talk, I want to get right to Ephesians chapter 1. I had to mention the first two verses that I had on the slide were 15 and 16. And I'm going to read these because they relate to you and your relationship to us. Okay? For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Okay? As, as we think about ICC, I think we have the same thought about you as Paul had for the Ephesians. Uh, Aaron and I, I know Benny and Megan, the rest of our team, Stephanie for sure, really love you guys. Uh, you guys have been a part of so much. You get our newsletters. I hope you don't ever read those and just think, oh, that's cool what God's doing over there. You're a part of it, right? When you guys talk about your support for missionaries, we're some of the missionaries that you've supported. Uh, and so I thank God every time I remember you. And that that's, is is honest as I could possibly be with you guys. You're a part of every good thing God's doing in our ministry. I mean, we couldn't be doing it alone, and so thank you. Now, as we uh, talk about that, <laughs> I want to jump into the next part of the passage. So let's read 17 through 23. So Paul tells the Ephesians, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, 
and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So we're going to break this passage down a little bit and look at some different elements of it and how they relate to what happened yesterday and the strategic plan and all this. But man, as, as we talk about this, I got to remind you that he's the head of his body. And that's not figurative, right? He desires to lead his body. He desires to be the one that's in charge of what's happening here. And I believe he's doing that, guys. I, I, I've looked at your leaders. I've heard from them. I know their hearts for God. I've seen their, their integrity and honesty in this. I've looked at all the surveys. We read every one of them. We gave every one of them to the, to the leaders. It was funny. There were even a few comments here or there that were a little, uh, maybe some tension coming out that maybe uh, were a little bit, they could have been hurtful to Randall or one of the other elders. And Randall said, keep them in there. We want to know what people are saying. We don't want a sanitized view of things. We really want to know where things are at. I looked at, at your people and, and saw a sense of integrity and a desire to see God move. So I believe that, that you know he's the head of this church. And I trust that you're following him as the head of the church. Right? So with that in mind, let's, let's kind of zoom in on, on verse 17 here. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So as we think about what God has called us to do, it really starts with knowing him better. Isn't that true? Right. If, you're, if you're planning just to do more for God, um, you've, you've completely missed the boat. The first point that I really wanted to hit today is we're called to know him better. Do you remember the story of Mary and Martha in Luke 10, 38 through 42? Right, where Martha is busy with all that needed to be done. Things needed to be done. You had Jesus Christ in, in, in your home. Imagine having Jesus in your home. Wouldn't you want to put something good on the table? <laughs> right? Physically, not in a spiritual sense. Like, we're going we're gonna to cook like never before. I like to smoke meat. I'd be smoking ribs and lots of stuff to get it, to get it just right. Uh, so Martha was, was obviously concerned with a lot of things that needed to be done. And Mary sat at Jesus' feet and just listened to him. And Jesus said that she picked the one thing that was needed. Do you guys remember Moses going up and seeking God's face, right? Coming down and what did he find? People were out of their minds, the laughing stock, laughing stock of the nations, right? So what did he do? He went back and sought God's face some more. I, I think that as you seek to do what God's called you to do, he wants you to seek him first, to make him your focus. That's the one thing that's needed, and that's where we have to start in this passage. God wants you to know him better. He wants me to know him better. This is my prayer for myself every day, for my family every day. I pray it for my kids five or six times a day that God would help them know him better. Uh, on a side note for your parents, it's so exciting to see God reveal himself to your kids, where they get to experience him in a real and personal way. Okay, so God wants us to know him better, and what's exciting is even that's not on you. <laughs> he wants you to desire that, but if you feel like you have to muster up the, uh, the ability to know God better, what does Paul tell the Ephesians? He, he's praying that the, that the Holy Spirit would enable them to know God better, right? 
And that's what's true with you. So, so one thing I'm asking you to do is to desire to know God better, but then to trust that he's going to lead you in that. Follow him in that. Listen to him in that. Respond to him in that. Obey him in that. I joked with Aaron this morning. I said, I think we need to stop using the word quiet time and start calling it an all the time. <laughs> right? Uh, be quick to engage with God in the word at 4 p.m. or at 8 p.m. or before dinner, not just during your devotional in the morning. Uh, Dave Early, a Christian leader that probably a lot of you know of, uh, he talks about having six different prayer times scheduled a day, not so he can brag about it, but just so that throughout his day, there is a constant reliance on the Lord to get with God and to connect with God about what's going on in his life. As we talk about what God is calling you to do, I implore you, start first with growing closer to him. Right? That's, that's the foundation. Um, I was reading last night in Business Insider. I was going to ask you guys a question. How many of you made a New Year's resolution this year? I did. You can raise your hand. You don't have to. Right? Now, you don't have to raise your hand to this. How many of you actually have uh, fulfilled those and you, you still have them going? Probably not many, right? They say 80% are lost by the second week of February. <laughs> Isn't that true? And I think it's because our heart isn't in it, right? I want to I wanna get in shape, but my heart's not in it. Or I want to do X, Y, or Z, but my heart's not in it, maybe 100%. God's calling us to be fully devoted to him. I know there's a difference between thinking, yeah, it would be good if I was really close to God, and saying, God, I've sought you with all my face, like David said. So this is an encouragement to you and to me. Let's seek God with all of our face. Let's make him the priority of our life. To get close to him. To draw near to him. And to let him then do what he wants in and through us. So it starts with him. Okay guys, in Ephesians 1.18 we're going to pick up. Paul continues. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. See... As you draw near to God, something typically happens. You realize you're not all that. Isn't that true? This happens to me all the time. I really, I'm really not that great a guy. I'm not that special. I don't have all that much going for me. And the closer I get to God, the more I see that because he's perfect and he's holy and he's righteous. And it exposes me for what I am. And maybe, maybe as you draw near to him, if you start to see yourself that way, I want to encourage you to walk in his hope. Okay? Because he has called you a loved son of God, a dearly loved. In, in fact, in Ephesians 5, Paul calls them dearly loved children of God. And that is who you are. Not because you earned that. Not because you did something to become dearly loved. But because you've believed in him. And as his child, you are dearly loved. Nothing could change that. So there's hope. And Paul calls the Ephesians back to this hope that they have in Christ. Who they are in him. Right? Paul tells us that, that God's hope will not disappoint us. It will not disappoint us. Now, I have to do a little bunny trail here. Okay? I have to get off track and talk about apologetics. Uh, we, we heard this morning a, a little bit about the apologetics conference. And I just, there are flyers like this one, shameless plug outside. It's going to be a great conference right in Durango in about two weeks from this weekend. For those of you that don't want to stay the night, that's fine. There are going to be sessions only passes for 20 bucks. Um, so go to thebestfacts.com. You can get the flyers out here and uh, let us know if you want to come. But I want to tell you that the hope that we have, it isn't blind belief. 
So a lot of people are going to say, well, your hope is no different than the Buddhists, the Hindus, the Muslims, the anybody else. We encounter these arguments all the time on the college campus, and they're bogus. The hope that we have is reality, guys. It's not, it's not just something that's true because we really want it to be, and we don't just believe it because we don't have a better option, or we don't just believe it because we really want to. This is the truth of the universe. The conference is called the Best Facts Conference, and the Best Facts is an acronym. And it goes like this. We can believe that God exists because B, the beginning of the universe. You know, science has confirmed that the universe had a, a beginning a finite time ago that there's no natural explanation for. We know that that points to a cause greater than the universe, namely God. E, in the best acronym, is the engineering of the universe. If you could, I mean, the, the mathematical statistics involved in the fine-tuning of the universe are so astronomically crazy that you can't even write these things on paper. I mean, you have to do like something to a power to a power just to like be able to get it on paper how unfathomably impossible this is. Do you get what I'm saying? And it's not like that for one or two things. It's like that for one, one researcher says 93 different constants. Okay? You guys, the engineering of the universe points to an engineer for the universe. Uh, S in that acronym is standards and morality. Did you know that if anything at all is right or wrong, there has to be a standard by which right or wrong is measured? If God doesn't exist, rape is no different than feeding homeless people. It's just different arrangements of atoms and molecules. But we know that's not true because we know there's a standard of right and wrong, and that standard of right and wrong requires a God that would give it. And that's not a weak argument. There are logical ways to, to frame all these arguments, but that argument is what led C.S. Lewis to Christ as an atheist, and other famous people as well. You'll hear about him at the conference. And then finally, the truth about Jesus is an argument for God. The historical evidence for Jesus is so powerful. The biggest critic of the New Testament alive today says that if you deny Christ's historical existence, you're a mythicist. Did you catch that? The guy that's the biggest critic of our faith says if you don't believe Jesus is historical, you're crazy. <laughs> you get that? There's not a legitimate scholar alive that denies the historicity of Jesus Christ. And there's not a scholar alive that can refute the evidence for the resurrection. Uh, you'll hear about some of that at the conference. Those are some reasons to believe that God does exist, and he walked this earth as Jesus Christ, and he died for our sins and rose again, proving that he alone had the power to give us eternal life. Uh, why believe the Bible? That's the facts acronym. It foretells the future, it's archaeologically accurate, it's coherent, it's translated correctly, and there's science throughout the Bible that show God's fingerprints on his word. You guys, the hope that we have in Christ, it's not just make-believe. It's not just fiction that we want to believe. This is the reality of the universe. This is the truth of the universe. I implore you to live that out. If, if, if I told you that they're giving away million-dollar bills at the gas station, if you believe me, how many of you would be here five minutes from now? No one, right? Right? Uh, but none of you believe me, so you're still sitting here. <laughs> Does that make sense? If you really believe something, it'll inspire you to step out in faith and put it into application. You can't help but not, right? If you believe something to be true, it's going to come out in how you live your life. I'm challenging you to believe that the hope that you have in Christ is really true. 
and there is a world that really needs to hear it out there, okay? Let me tell you a little bit about what Scripture tells us about hope. Scripture tells you to hope in the living God, the Savior of all men, to hope in Jesus alone, in His name, to hope in His Word, right? His Word is our hope. His Word isn't just something that makes us old buddy-duddies because we like to believe it, right? It's not just a bunch of old stories, but this is our hope. This gives us a framework for looking at reality and living with peace and joy in the context of a world that doesn't even have a clue what those things mean. It tells us to have hope in his love, to have hope in his grace, to have hope in his protection, to hope in his provision, and to have hope in the eternal life that he alone offers. Right? Those are some things that we are called to be walking in hope concerning. Now it tells us some promises for those that walk putting their hope in God. You want to hear those? They're really good. All this comes from Scripture. Scripture tells us that those who hope in God will find rest. Remember what Jesus said, if you're weary and, and, and heavy burden, come to me and I will give you rest. Those who hope in God will find rest. They will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. They will be delivered and they will have the endurance to persevere. When Paul tells the Ephesians to hope, he means a lot. And this is not empty hope. And as you think about all God has called you to, please don't just say, ah, you know, we've been down this road before, and I, I just don't see it. <laughs> I just don't see it happening. You guys ever get that temptation to say, uh, um, who knows? Andrew Murray, one of my favorite writers, put it this way. He said, don't let the feeble experiences of your unbelief be the measure of what your faith can expect. Did you catch that? Don't let the feeble experiences of your unbelief be the measure of what your faith can expect. See, God has called us to hope in Him. Whatever you've been through, that's not the, that's not the upper bound or the ceiling on what you can hope in God for in the future. Do you get what I'm saying? God has called you to great things as a church. Embrace it. Say, we're all in, God. We're here. <laughs> we're here. We're, we're not holding back. We're all in. And we want to be a part of what you're, what you're going to do. We're not going to miss out on that. Our hope is in you alone, and we're not going to miss out. I thought I would tell you a, a cool little illustration of hope. I'm not endorsing the movie Dunkirk. I've not even seen it. And I'll be honest, I'm not a history guy, so I was like, what's Dunkirk? <laughs> and my father-in-law last night, he's like, are you kidding me? You don't know about how they had to pray and trust God? I'm like, what? And he's like, that's not in the movie, but... It all started with prayer. Let me read you something from the Anglican Inc. newspaper. When Britain was close to defeat during the Second World War and the entire British Army was trapped at Dunkirk. The entire British Army was trapped there? I didn't know this. This was the end of the war, right? I mean, the Nazis are going to wipe them out. Done deal. Hitler wins, right? When the entire British Army was trapped at Dunkirk, in desperation, George VI called for a national day of prayer to be held on the 26th of May, 1940. In a national broadcast, he instructed the people of the UK to turn back to God in a spirit of repentance and to plead for divine help. Is, have you seen, if you've seen the movie, is that in there? I don't know if that's in there. <laughs> I hope so, but I don't know if it is. Millions of people across the British Isles flocked into churches praying for deliverance. Two events immediately followed. Check this out. This is amazing. First, a violent storm arose over the Dunkirk region, grounding the Luftwaffe, the German Air Force, which had been killing thousands on the beaches. 
And the second thing that happened was a great calm descended on the channel, the like of which had not been seen for a generation. Isn't that amazing? That allowed hundreds of tiny boats to sail across and rescue 335,000 soldiers. Right? From then on, the people referred to what happened as the miracle of Dunkirk, for good reason. And they declared June 9th, right after this, as a national day of thanksgiving. Guys, our hope needs to be in God. They got it then, right? They got it. But I think in our modern, right, enlightened society, we try to make uh, our hope in circumstances or in politicians or in whatever else. Guys, we need to come back to a point where we say our hope is in God alone for our nation, for our family, for our city, and guys, for this church, right? Your hope is not in everything from your past being perfect and being dealt with the right way in the future. Your hope is in God for what he wants to do in this church. It has to be. Any other hope is going to leave you absolutely helpless. So I just want to ask you as we think about this, what is your hope for ICC? What is your hope for the future? We saw a lot of that come out in the surveys. But think about it. If, if Jesus materialized in front of us, he's, he is here. We can't see him, but he's here. Um, and he said, what, what would you like for ICC? Obviously, we want to follow his will, not our will. But I want you to kind of think big. I'm not going to say, God, you know, I hope that the coffee gets better. <laughs> I have to tease Randall a little bit. <laughs> How about God? I want this city to know you. I want my neighbors to know you. I want this school to know you. I want our people to be loving you fervently and loving each other and showing that John 13, 35 love of the body to the world out there. God, we're desperate that you would show up and do what only you can. Uh, what are you personally hoping for in God? Uh, what are you trusting him for in your life? Um, as you start thinking thoughts like that, inevitably you're going to start realizing that you're not up to what you're thinking about. You're, you're far insufficient for the challenge, and that's why Paul tells them to count on his power. This is Ephesians 1, 19 through 20. He tells the Ephesians to count on God's incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. His power is what we're counting on, not our own abilities. So I want to tell you your purpose statement. A lot of you probably know this, some of you probably don't, but here it is. Ignacio Community Church is a Christ-centered fellowship that exists for the purpose of worship and for expanding the kingdom of God by providing opportunities for healing, growth, and service by educating, equipping, and empowering God's people. I'll read that again before we close today, but that's an incredible purpose. And if that actually happens in this city, it'll be amazing. Right? It'll be amazing. And it won't end with this city. I heard somebody say a few years back, that no ministry in existence today is any longer a local ministry. Every ministry in existence today is an international ministry. By, I mean, you guys probably put messages online and you probably have people around the world listening to them. You might not even know it, right? You guys, what God is doing here will expand from here. Uh, but you don't have what it takes, guys. A few chapters later, Paul reminds them to be filled with the Spirit. In other words, to allow the Holy Spirit to empower them for what only God can do. They're not cranking this out in their own strength. They're relying on the only one that has the power to make this stuff happen. Uh, and in line with your purpose, you guys have six values that you've stated. 
Those are worship, Bible teaching, children's ministry, loving fellowship, kingdom living, and discipleship. I think God wants to see all those things happening here at ICC. But it's going to take a body of believers that's counting on his power. That's saying we're going to walk in his power, not just our own flesh. And that's going to take trusting him day after day after two. Remembering, like he said in Ephesians 3.20, right? That he can do more than we can imagine or ask. Again, Murray said, don't let the feeble experiences of your unbelief be the measure of what your faith can expect. I'm asking you guys to step out of the past and into the future. And to say, God, whatever you're calling us to, we are all in, God. We are right here. We're ready to step into it. And we're going to count on your power. We're not counting on anything else but your power. Okay, now Paul concludes this with where I started this. Christ's headship of his church, right? So in verse 21, he says, Jesus is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He is the head of this church, and we are called to commit to him as Lord. You cannot do what he's calling you to do until you commit to him as Lord and say, we're following. We trust you, God. We trust you with our circumstances. We trust you with our leadership. We trust you with this building. We trust you with our hopes and our dreams. We trust you with our weaknesses. You're Lord, not us, and we trust you. See, apart from him, you can do nothing. Remember, Jesus said that in John 15, 5. But he also said in 16 that through him, he will produce fruit in and through you that will last. So as we realize what we're called to do, we come to him and say, You're Lord, and we are going to follow you alone. Okay? You guys... We, we spent this time working out this strategic plan. I've reminded you of the purpose. I've reminded you of some of the values. But I want to tell you kind of some of the things that surfaced out of this. As we, as we talk to the elders and talk to the pastors and, or talk to the pastor and talk to, got feedback from the congregation, six things rose to the surface. And these six things, and they kind of cover a lot of other things below them too. These included uh, coming together aligned under a common purpose. So you have a purpose. I'm going to read it again. Ignacio Community Church is a Christ-centered fellowship that exists for the purpose of worship and for expanding the kingdom of God by providing opportunities for healing, growth, and service by educating, equipping, and empowering God's people. That's a great purpose. I think there's a great need for the body to come together aligned under that purpose. They say we've been through a lot together We've been through some good times, some hard times, but man, now we are going to get on the same page and step into all that God is calling us to do. And I I know that as you guys get that unified commitment to what God is calling you to do, it's going to be something special. Okay, next, you guys all realize that you can't do this on your your own, and you pick that we need to grow in prayer. What a great thing for for the the church to, to select. We want to be a church that seeks God's face, And grows closer to him in prayer. Because we're depending on him to do what only he can do in this ministry. And I know he will as you seek his face in prayer. Next was discipleship. We want to see disciples being made in this church. Of our our church members, of our children, and even of the community around us. Remember, we want to expand God's kingdom. And see people won to Christ and discipled in the community. 
You guys also put evangelism and reaching out into the community as, as a goal to step into. Trusting God for more than where you're at right now. You might have already learned this, but as soon as you stop reaching new people, you're going to die with that church. You, you can't possibly grow your church without reaching new people. So making the commitment to say, we're going to reach out and reach our community and, and, and reach people for Jesus, that is critical to the future of the church. And I know you guys are going to do great with it. You know, you also realize that if we don't reach young people, we're in trouble. So one thing that surfaced to the top was reaching the youth and really engaging them for Christ and investing in them. Okay, the final was fellowship. And everybody said, we want this to be a place of loving fellowship where people can grow close together. And uh, I know you all desire that. Who doesn't? I got to just tell you it's possible. It can happen. Uh, Yesterday, different team leaders all embraced different roles to really make these things happen. Okay? They, They made a team called the Evangelism and Visitation Team that's really committed to reaching out and making sure that that new people are one and that people that have interacted with the church don't fall through the cracks and things like that, okay? You guys came up with the fellowship and discipleship team, a team that wants to make sure that people are growing closer to each other and closer to God, two very important things. You guys also came up with a prayer team, a team that is going to be making sure the church is kept on task to be seeking God's face. And finally, a youth team that's really going to be diligent, diligent about finding ways to, to help the youth connect with all that God is doing here. That's exciting stuff, right? Uh, my question, though, is do you have what it takes? I'll tell you the answer. You don't. Uh, none of you do. And that's okay. We always tell the students, you don't have what it takes, but the Holy Spirit in you does. So as you step into these things, they're exciting, and the fruit will be amazing. I want to remind you, it starts with Jesus. It starts with connecting with Him, surrendering to Him as Lord, and allowing His Holy Spirit to do what only He can in and through you. To produce the fruit of the Spirit that only He can in your life. To produce effective ministry like only He can in your life. That's where it really starts. Guys, i got to tell you our story as I wrap up here. When Aaron and I moved to Albuquerque... We uh, came off of 11 years of full-time ministry in Durango. And before that, we'd worked for two years as volunteers and then another four years before that on the campus. So we're talking 17 straight years of uh, college ministry at one place. And in that time frame, 15 of those years we spent at the same church. When we started dating, we decided to go to the same church together, to grow together. And once we were there, we said we're committed to being committed. We had... We had good things, bad things, whole, the whole thing. Um, and we said, we're here. We're committed. You can't get us to leave. Years ago, years ago, nobody that was a part of this is even there anymore. Somebody from that church went to this school and tried to get us kicked off the campus. The school called and said, this church, I don't know if you know about them, tried to get you guys kicked off campus. It's like, that's our home church. <laughs> you know what we said? We're committed to being committed. I don't care what you throw at us. We're there, and we're going to commit. So we were very committed to that church, and it's a very good church. But you know one thing we didn't do? We didn't really commit to the church. We committed to attending, but we didn't commit to growing deep in that church. And so we were so busy with ministry 
that we never had time for anything other than Sunday morning. If we were in town, we never missed Sunday morning, but Sunday morning was it. We were never committed to growing in small groups. Our kids weren't involved very much in the youth ministry. They were a little bit, our two precious girls back there. But you guys, when we went to Albuquerque, we actually wrote on paper. It's on my desk right now. We did a strategic plan for our marriage. And one of the things that we decided is at our next church, we are going to commit all the way. We're going to have one night a week for our own ministry. That way we have time to get involved in the church. So we've gotten involved in the church. We've built friendships with families in the church. We're there on Wednesdays and Sundays, and we're in a small group at the church. And guys, it has been two of the best years of our lives in that regard. We have deep friends at our church. We have friends house sitting for us right now. The alarm got called on them this morning. It was kind of funny. Right as we're walking in, I got a call about an alarm going off. Um, but we have deep friendships. We've been through a hard couple of months, some hard things that I don't have time and don't even need to talk about. But in the context of all of it, that church has been like a rock for us. So as I talk about all the great things that God wants to do in and through Ignacio Community Church, I want to let you know our story of finding a church that became a home that really helped us grow deep in our walks with God and is continuing to. Uh, I talked with my pastor last week. We had lunch. There are like a thousand people in the church, but he's willing to like, meet with us and not just us, others. I, I put a bunch of stuff on the table in front of him and we prayed about it and talked together. He gave me wisdom. Um, you guys are going to be that for a lot of people out there, okay? Uh, and you guys are that for a lot of people in here. So here's one thing that I, as I ask you to consider how to apply this, I want to ask you to be all in on that, to commit to that, to say if I've been like we used to be the Sunday attender, to say, man, I need to go all in. God's called me to be a part of a body, and he wants me to be all in on that. A body is inseparable. You can't, you know, you can't like put your arm somewhere for the week and come back and get it next week. God's called you to be a part of the body. And if you're already that committed part of the body, I encourage you to reach out to others and help them get plugged into this church so they can experience some of the good stuff that we've experienced down in Albuquerque. And I know from the surveys there are people experiencing that here right now. Okay? And that's awesome. Okay, so that being said, that's all I'm going to encourage you with with the application. But I told you that I wanted you to make a decision. Okay? So we've talked a little bit about coming closer to God, continuing in his hope, counting on his power, and committing to him as Lord. Okay? And we've talked about the great things that God has in store for ICC. How are you going to put that in practice? Right now, probably you know what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. I would encourage you to write that down on a piece of paper when you, got, when you get home. Find an accountability partner to tell it to so that you guys can keep each other accountable. And then trust God and step into it all the way. And I promise as you seek him, he's going to do greater things in and through you than you could ever imagine. Um, he promises that in 320. You guys, that's all I have for you. I'm so thankful to be able to be here fellowshipping with you. And thank you for letting us be a part of this plan and all that you guys did. Uh, thank you so much, guys.